Hey entrepreneurs, are you trying to make bigger profits in your small business? Like many of us, I'm sure you're feeling it. Business is hard. And now more than ever, you need to have a plan to help your business not just survive, but thrive. And it can happen as simply as thinking with the end in mind. I'm Marcia Reiner. I'm a business growth strategist. I've helped tons of small business owners to establish and implement a tangible plan that guarantees increased profitability, guides your growth, and plans for your future exit. Because a business worth selling is also a business worth owning. And I want to share strategies that I've earned and learned with you on today's Profit with a Plan podcast. But before we get started, I have something to share with you. I've put together an insightful Think Outside the Box masterclass. This brief 20-minute training has been specifically designed to help you learn how to grow your business five times or even 10 times the revenue and the value of your firm. So you're in a great position to sell it someday on your terms. Go register for free at 10xyourfirm.com. All right, I'm really excited today to have my guest. Um, he, David Burnett is a three-time best-selling author and entrepreneur, and he sheds light on the complex and sometimes tricky process of buying and selling and managing small and medium-sized businesses. After a career in advertising sales, he started several businesses, including a commercial debt brokerage. Helping to finance small and medium-sized business led him to the field of business brokerage, where he now works with entrepreneurs around the world who are buying and selling businesses as private transaction consultants. As a former, former business broker and author of, get this, eight books, you guys, on how to sell um, his how to sell my own business is his, is his favorite one. And David knows firsthand how important it is to build structure and manage a business in a way that will allow you to eventually sell it. He's singing my song, folks. I know you've heard that a thousand times from me. So David, welcome to Profit with a Plan podcast. Marcia, thanks for inviting me on. It's, it's a pleasure to be here with you. I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, me too. This is such a um, this is such a, a, a dear place in my heart because I'm constantly talking about business owners preparing to sell their business. And I wanted to have a conversation with you today on how to sell your business, maybe from the buyer's side and how they look at your business and give our listeners some insights and ideas on how to prepare so they can have a business that they can eventually sell, as you say. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. I'd love to love to share some things. I think that the the very first thing that um, most business owners need to realize is if they're going to put their business up for sale one day, is you know they all want to know what's my business worth, what what how much money am I going to get if I'm going to sell this business, and the value that someone's willing to pay for a business is based upon two things. Number one, it's based upon the cash flow that the business is creating, and the risk profile of the industry that you happen to be in. And so different industries will have different uh, risks associated with them. And then we get the different kinds of multipliers that come out of that. You will often hear people talk about selling a business for a certain multiple of cash flow. And depending on the size of the business and the industry, we might be talking about EBITDA or EBIT or something called seller's discretionary earnings. And we're going to multiply that by a number. And different industries have different multipliers. And so the restaurant industry is going to have a lower multiplier than maybe like a, uh, an industrial type of business where there's a lot of heavy equipment and machinery involved in the business. And so those two things are going to affect what someone's willing to pay. And once they've come up with that price, once they figure out this is what the business is worth to me, 
then they're going to get to this second big question, which is, will this cash flow continue under my stewardship? And that's when we get into a whole bunch of soft stuff. Are there systems? Where is the goodwill? Do people do business with this with this company, or are people doing business with the owner who's selling? You know, what are the things that are happening in here? And if I become the owner, will it all transfer directly over to me, or is there going to be some kind of difficulty in me? grabbing the reins from the seller as they depart. And, and that's where you get into all those conversations about systems and organization and operating procedures and all that kind of stuff. I love it. You know, it's so funny. The business owners, I came into the, into the space from, from financial planning and I would sit down with business owners and they'd say, okay, I'm going to sell my business as part of my plan. But yet they never knew what the business was worth. They just had this arbitrary number that they did and they never knew or, or they couldn't ensure that they could even sell it, let alone for the amount that they were thinking of. So I love the idea of what you said, that there's two variables. You know, what's, what's, the, what's the operating uh, of the business and how could that business, you know, how profitable is that business? And, and could, I, could someone else step in and have that continued cash flow? Those are really important pieces that business owners don't think about, at least, at least in, in not my circle, they, they're not thinking about. They're thinking... Oh, Shark Tank, you know, 12 times, you know, earnings. <laughs> Yay. Well, <laughs> Not and problem. you know, like most business operators, they're, they're knee deep in operations. And so they see what's going on. They see how their business relates to, to others in their industry. And they see the opportunities coming down the pipeline, the, the ways that the business could grow, et cetera. And when a buyer is looking at a business, you know, I'll often get asked the question, you know, do you average a couple of years? Do you look at the most recent year, et cetera? And the, and the answer to that question is it depends. It depends on what those annual performance numbers look like. So if a business has year over year, eddy, steady, continuous growth in revenue and earnings, then a buyer might just look at the most recent year because they see a business that's growing quite steadily and they can have a lot of confidence in that if they can see four or five years of that kind of performance. But if you have a business that is going up and down and side to side and the numbers are going all over the place, well, then buyers are going to either use some kind of average or they're going to apply a weighted average or they might, you know, and this is getting back to, to uh, grade 12 statistics if you studied this, Mercia, is you look at your data set and you might actually choose to remove outliers, mm -hmm. things that don't fit within the norm of operations. And so for some businesses, if they have an ex, you know an explosive year with 25% growth, and then the next year they kind of get back to the norm that they had before, many buyers will look at that year that had the big growth and they'll just completely remove that from their calculation because there's no evidence that that is a sustainable and regular level of business that a buyer could expect once they take over. And I think you brought up a good point. Um, and to simplify that, sellers think their business is worth a whole lot more and buyers want to get the best deal. So they're looking for opportunities to reduce the price that they're suggest that you're thinking that you know you put in your offer. Um, they're looking to cut that down. So they do look for ways to to pull the outliers out to validate whether that income is going to continue. So I well, like that. It's not entirely about price. And so, you know, a lot of the times when sellers, uh, when a business owner builds a business from scratch, especially. They may not have experience in buying or selling a business. They may not have been a buyer of a business. So they can't 
they have trouble sometimes empathizing with what's going on on the other side of the table. But it's not so much about price as it is about risk. So so let me give you an example. Um, The seller might expect that when they sell their business, they're going to get a big check. But the the reality is, is that a lot of small businesses are sold with some degree of seller financing. And so if I look at a business and I see an erratic performance over many years, I might agree to the price you want, but because I'm not confident in the business performance carrying on the way you claim it will be, then I might be willing to do the deal at your price, but I might want you to carry 30 or 40% of the purchase price and pay you over time. And that promissory note, that debt instrument could very well have language in it that allows me to claw back on what I'm going to pay you if the performance doesn't match what you claim it should. And so what that does for the buyers, they say, well, you know what, if I get the business you say that I'm getting, I don't have a problem paying the price. But if it turns out that it isn't so, if it turns out that things don't perform the way you're claiming, then effectively I get a lower price after the fact. So it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a warranty or a guarantee. And you know, the higher the sellers push the price, the more demanding they are. You know, you might find that buyer willing to pay the price, but expect to have these kinds of conditions and risk sharing tools applied to the deal just because, you know, the buyer doesn't know the business anywhere near as well as the seller does. You know, someone who built the business from scratch, who works in it every day, knows everything about the business. The buyer is going to oftentimes take all of their savings. They might even borrow from family and friends. They're going to borrow from the bank. They're going to borrow from the seller. And they're going to put all their eggs in one basket on the calculated risk that everything should work out okay. Mm. And so they're also going to operate the business oftentimes with far more leverage than the seller has ever experienced. You know, most of these sellers have never had these loans to the degree that a buyer is going to have. And so not only does the cash flow have to work out, the the performance of the business has to be maintained because oftentimes there's not much of a gap of wiggle room for errors because these buyers are committing to making these debt service payments. Um, Most small businesses, they're what I call asymmetrical systems meaning that a 10% drop in sales is far more than a 10% drop in profits. It might be a 10% drop in sales could be a 50% drop in profits. And if you've committed, you know, half of your cash flow to debt service, that means that that buyer now has got to figure out how to feed their family with no money. Right. And what percentage do you think of small businesses um, in the purchase uh, come with owner financing? Because, you know, you're right. You said in the beginning that most uh, business owners think they're going to get a windfall and walk away with a check and, you know, how do I invest that? That's that's not common though, right? So it's it's interesting that you say that because um, for, for listeners that are in the United States, it's a little bit of a different landscape than everywhere else in the world uh, because of the SBA. And mm-hmm. so there's a lot of information online about the SBA, about SBA financing programs. And if you speak with a loan officer at a bank that does SBA loans, they'll tell you that they might want the seller to participate 5%, 10% of a seller carryback. But in the normal circumstances, and if you're looking at a deal that is not using SBA financing, in you get to see much larger seller financings. So when I was a business broker, I did 36 deals in three years. Uh, only one of them did not have any seller financing. Wow. All the rest did. And it wasn't uncommon to see 30, 40% seller financing. Mm-hmm. I was at a conference a couple of weeks ago in Cleveland of owners of multiple operating companies. 
And in one of the first dinners that I sat down to, three people at the table had personal experiences of buying businesses with 70% seller financing. Wow. Now, if you th- why would those sellers have agreed to those terms? A couple of different things. You know, number one, the sellers obviously trusted that these buyers are going to be capable operators. And, and here's the big thing. Number two, if a seller gets all cash, what do they do with the money, Marcia? Well, they get hit, they get killed with taxes if they don't do any kind of planning, but they make that windfall is, is, is spendable, you know? So there's a double, there's a double wedge. They don't get all of the money because they get hit with a large tax uh, challenge and then they go out and spend the money. So it doesn't last anyways. So I like seller financing, but. Well, but the further challenge is if you get all the money after you pay your taxes, how do you invest it wisely mm-hmm. or properly to make sure that you're going to continue to grow? Exactly. And a lot of the times when sellers realize, hey, I can sell my business, I can finance part of it, I can maybe write this note at 7, 8, 9, 10% interest, you begin to realize that you can actually turn your business interest into an investment that pays you, almost like turning your business into an annuity. And I've seen scenarios where sellers were able to live off the payments of the note for a decade while their other investments continue to grow. And then they spread that tax liability over the course of time as well. And so there can be real advantages for a seller to be more open to this type of creative deal making. You got to pick the right buyer, though. You have to make sure that you're dealing with someone who's going to be a capable operator. In and that you way, set the business you, up to be able to be transferred to that buyer and yes. know that it can continue to be successful. So you, it's kind of putting your money where your where your mouth is because you're stating, oh, this is a fantastic business. You're going to love it. It's going to be great for you. Well, now you're saying, I know and I believe and I trust in this and I'm going to put my money out there to help you take this over in exchange for X, Y, and Z. And I think that not all buyers believe wholeheartedly in their business that it can can continue without them. You know, I, I mentioned earlier about the risky position that a buyer is putting themselves in. The One of the things that they often come up short on is confidence. <laughs> and when a seller says to them, you know what, you remind me of myself at your age. I think you're going to do great. And I really believe in you. And I think you've got the background, the skills to make a success of this. And so I'm going to invest in you by lending you most of the money that you need to buy this business, it can be a huge confidence boost for the buyer. Now, sellers often say, well, what's the downside of that, Dave? What happens if they fail? If there's no bank involved, it means that that seller has got a first position lien on that business. It means that the seller gets the business back. Mm -hmm. And so the worst case scenario is you end up with the business back. You know how to run it. You can get in there and you can do things to make the business function again properly. And then here's the thing, then you get to sell it again. And there have been some sellers who've actually made out far better for themselves by selling their business more than once than if they had simply sold and gotten a check and walked away. Yeah. I think it's having options, right? It's, it's, Mm -hmm. you, you put so much into this business, your blood, sweat, tears, nights, weekends, a lot of your savings, you know, this is the baby you birthed. You've created it to to have to give yourself as the seller options and to make it more attractive to the buyer. This is this is one of the great ways is is to offer that kind of financing. Um, and I think, like you mentioned, it gives there's there's rewards to it. Yeah, yeah. there's another risk, but there's rewards to it. 
Um, and the I biggest challenge are- any buyer is going to have is getting is getting financing. Mm-hmm. And, and if you think about any other big ticket item, when you go down to a car dealership, the, the people at the car dealership know that very few people walking past have 40, 50, $60,000 in their bank account to buy a car. Right. And so, so those car people, they know that we, Hey, we got to line up the bank loan information. We got to line up the leasing opportunities. We got to, we have to make sure that we handle this problem for people. And when you're going to sell a business, the same scenario exists. The buyers right. are going to have a hard time getting financing. And so if you think about your business if you can detach yourself a little bit and think about it like a piece of inventory on a store shelf and you, you say to yourself, what issue is the buyer going to have? What, what struggles will they have? We've talked about seller financing, but whenever I'm talking with business owners that have a plan to sell in the next few years, I always say, let's extend that to other kinds of things. So if you need to replace equipment in your business, if you need to bring some new vehicles into your business, every time you look at an opportunity where you might use financing yourself in your business, have the conversation with the bank or the leasing company or whoever you're talking with and say, what happens if I sell my company? Is this lease or debt assumable? Because you, can, you can actually build the financing tools right into your business. Um, if you were to transfer your company to someone else and you had outstanding amounts due on a lease for a piece of equipment, well, in the traditional asset sales sense, you would take the money and you would pay off the lease. Well, if the person can just take over the lease, it's as good as handing you money. And so in this type of way, we can actually build in financing options for that buyer to give them an opportunity to figure out how they're going to get their money together simply by taking over liabilities that might exist for you. I love it. I love it. You know, creating options, creating opportunity. And these things don't occur overnight. Um, you mentioned if you've got a couple of years before you're thinking of selling, these are opportunities that you can do today that will improve mm-hmm. the cash flow for the business, it'll improve the opportunity. And the longer you've stacked your business in that sale ready mindset, the better you're going to run a business and the better off you'll be in a position to sell it on your terms, right? Because you're doing, you're stacking the company. Uh, in a way that makes sense for a buyer to come in and take it over. I love it. Marcia, I love, I love that how you, you've repeated it a couple of times now about how getting your business ready for sale makes it easier to run today. And I, I echo that sentiment whenever I have the chance, because what most business owners don't realize is that the top five reasons why businesses, small privately controlled businesses go up for sale the first reason, and this is all based on my experience from my brokerage years and, and now working as a consultant, I see the same things repeating themselves. Mm. Number one reason, burnout, boredom, and fatigue. And then there's poor health. <laughs> 16 hours a week or a day yeah. uh, working on weekends, right? It, it'll burn you out. And then there's the poor health, divorce, you know, relationship breaks down, breakdowns, the need to relocate. So sometimes because of family commitments or your spouse or whatnot, you might have a good business, but now you want to relocate to, to you know, for family reasons. The last one is retirement. So if you think about those five reasons, four out of five of them are things that happen to you that are not planned. Mm-hmm. You know, people plan for retirement. They don't plan for those other things. And so too often I've met business owners who've needed my help to try to exit and they haven't been prepared in any way for any of these things. And suddenly they have this pressing personal need to be able to sell as quickly as possible. 
And at that moment, it's too late to do this work. Mm-hmm. And then we're looking at, you know, some of those risk management things, you know, like how can we find someone who's going to be capable? You know, a properly organized business with systems and procedures in place has a wide field of potential buyers because all you really need is someone who has enthusiasm and a willingness to learn. They can learn your systems. But if you, for example, are a roofer and you run a bunch of crews and you're doing work all over town, you've got nothing written down. The only person who can buy your business is another roofer. Right. And so, and so you limit the pool of potential buyers and usually the limited pool means longer time to find the right person. And less money. Yeah. Yeah. And it, less money. Put you in a those, tighter position. Exactly. Those systems and processes are valuable to the purchase price, right? Because mm-hmm. you're you, someone's being able to step in so they're worth paying for it. Hence the franchise model, right? You come in, everything's stuck, just follow one, two, three, four, five, and you got a killer business in theory. Um, you know, that's the same model you want to structure your business around and make sure that someone, anybody can step into it. Now, if you're a medical practice, you would have to have a, a physician license. <clears throat> if you're a if if you're somebody that needs a license, a, a financial advisor or, you know, uh, insurance or whatever it is that you're practicing, if you need that license. But still, you know, there are management teams that can come in and put a a specific uh, figurehead in there and still run the business. Um, but you can't do it if you're not prepared. And that's why I, I, I'm, I constantly preach to the fact that if you do it now from day one and you're thinking with the end in mind, some way or another, you're going to get that investment back, then you're doing your ser- yourself a service now by creating a much easier to run business, a much more profitable business. And you're giving yourself the revenue you want now and the windfall potential later on. I, it, it boggles me how people don't think that way. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it's interesting that you bring that up. And I, I think that, you know, I've, you probably have talked at length before in your show with Michael, Michael Gerber and the E-Myth mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've seen what he talks about in practice every day where I, I would say the majority of small business owners are really the technician the you know, the roofer who considers himself a roofer rather than a business owner. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're busy doing the work and they get their business to the point where it's delivering the lifestyle that they um, find acceptable. You know, it's paying their bills. It's allowing them to do the things they want to do. And, it's a job. and then, then they just settle into that groove instead mm-hmm. of looking at the business as an investment or asset outside of themselves that one day will be transferred. And it's really that, that change of mentality and the way that you look at your business I think is important to allow you to start to, to, to separate yourself. And unfortunately, you know, that lack of separation I've seen too many times will actually draw someone down when a business is failing, you know, the business will start to falter, the business will have trouble. And instead of being willing to step aside, you know, and and close the business or what have you, they'll, they'll keep putting their own resources in it because they have this sense of, um, self-worth is tied to the success and con- the continuity of the business, which is unfortunate. You know, businesses are there to provide you with what you need in life by helping to provide others with what they need in life. So it's 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 a it's a service. It's a it's a a transaction of service where you help other people with their problems and needs, 
And by in doing so in an organized, consistent way that makes people happy and makes them want to come back, then you end up being provided for, for what you need. And it's not you, it's a separate thing from you. And in working on that business and in keeping it separate in your mind, it's going to be easier for you to imagine what it's going to be like one day when someone else is the person directing and running it. And that sort of little mental exercise I think is important is if you step back in your day to day and you think, what if I had to teach someone to step in my shoes right now and do what I'm doing? How difficult would it be for me to teach them that? Right. Exactly. And that's, that's when you start to realize, you know, the value of the tools, the checklists and all that kind of thing. Besides the fact, you know, if somebody were to have an unexpected injury or health situation and they couldn't mm -hmm. continue the business, then there goes their livelihood, the livelihood yeah. of their employees, the, the needed service in the community. I mean, it just it continues to snowball. But if you have those things in place, then maybe one of your key employees could step in and continue to run the business and continue to feed you while you're on the mend. Um, I mean, it just it, it, there's just so many reasons for a business owner to create this kind of business. And I love the way that you say that you should you should think about it as a separate entity. It's not you. It should never be you. Now, you mm -hmm. could be the the founder and the and the innovator and the creator, but it should still be a business and you over here, right? It shouldn't be the same. This it shouldn't be intertwined so tightly. I guess. Yeah. I know that sounded funky, but yeah, it's the the concepts there, and and you should always treat your business. Your business is an entity. That's why they give you an EIN number because it's not your tax number, it's your social security. It's supposed to be a, a separate entity. That's why corporations are all created because it's supposed to be a separate entity. And if you do the mindset shift, as you said, and start thinking differently, then your business will start to live on its own. And it also creates a legacy. When you're old and gray and you drive down the street and you go, yeah, that was my baby over there, you know? And um, it could be a family legacy that the kids take it over if if generational wealth is is the path for you. But it is so important to think about that as a separate entity. Wow. Lots of conversations here, David. This has been really good. All right. So <clears throat> we talked about having the business and looking at it from the buyer's side. We talked about different strategies that you're going to want to put in place. We talked about financing, which was fantastic. I don't think I've had anybody talk about how to prepare to sell your business so that you can, you know, you can stack it in a way that buyers can come in and plan for that. Um, right, give me one more thing. What else do sellers need to think about when selling their business? And we'll just kind of wrap it up from there. Yeah, sure. So, so remember how I said that the value of the business is going to be based on the cash flow and the risk in that particular industry. Mm -hmm. So, once that value has kind of been established, the things that can work against it are when buyers start to see that there are things missing. So, mm -hmm. so what do I mean by that? Well, if you're planning on selling your business and so you choose to stop reinvesting, to stop replacing equipment, to stop updating things that are needed, well, that's going to save you money. But when the buyer sees that the business has not been well-maintained and there's been a bunch of deferred maintenance or, or deferred replacement of, of equipment that needs to be updated, they're going to notice and they're going to strike that against you. 
So if they realize, hey, I'm going to pay the seller, when when a buyer looks at the cash flow they're going to obtain, they're going to say, what do I have to invest in order to get that cash flow? It doesn't matter where the money goes. If it goes into your hand or if it goes into the till, so if there's a big operating capital component that has to be invested in the business as well, or if it goes to the dealer who's going to replace some pieces of equipment that should have been replaced years ago. They're going to look at all of that money that flows out as what they're trading for that cash flow. And so if they need to go and spend $100,000 with the equipment dealer to update anything that's been deferred by you, then they're going to take it out of what they expect to pay you. They're not going to add to their investment just because they have shiny new equipment. So the best strategy is to simply operate the company the way you would if it was going to carry on for the long haul. Um, and and the, the other big important thing is that businesses are sold on multiples of cash flow, and there's different ones I mentioned before. But all of those cash flow methodologies ignore depreciation or what we call capex, capital expenditures. But any prudent buyer, when they examine your business opportunity, they're going to use those pricing methodologies, but they are definitely going to consider what the capex is because there aren't, like Warren Buffett says, the depreciation isn't paid by magical fairies. It's it's real cash expense to buy equipment <laughs> like trucks and machines and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so that part of the conversation will definitely be coming back into their analysis. And so don't think that you can pocket a bunch of money by deferring expenses or investments and then continue to sell the business for top dollar. Um, the a prudent buyer is going to uncover that stuff and they are going to come back to you looking for some kind of concession if they're going to be the ones expected to make those investments. Wow, really strong point there. And I think it's a similar mindset too. I've noticed that um, that when clients come to me and they're saying, oh, I want to sell sooner rather than later, it's like they've already turned off the growth factor of their business. You know, and and when they do that, and and you mentioned you want to you want to continue to think like you're gonna continue to operate the business, but that shift in mindset slows production, it mm-hmm. slows reinvestment, it slows growth, it slows profitability. So you, you, it's almost like you can't think about you're going to sell your business and have one foot out the door because it shows in all of your financials and it shows in the profitability of the company. So I like whenever, <laughs> whenever someone has decided I need out, I need to sell, then time is suddenly against you. Because the change in attitude is going to trickle down to employees and eventually to customers and is going to end up affecting performance. And as soon as you get that one year that's offside, it's starting to show decline instead of continued growth. Well, then the question is raised, oh, is there a big downturn overall in this industry or for this business? Is this now why they want to sell because things aren't going as well? And and you open up a whole new kettle of worms, you lose your trend. Mm -hmm. And so- so the minute you say I've had enough, that's when you want to, <laughs> you want to get out as soon as you can. And it's going to be easier to get out if you're prepared. Yeah. Love it. David, this has been fantastic. So many juicy nuggets that have come out of this conversation. And I thank you so much. So where can listeners find out more about you and how they can uh, prepare to buy or sell or, or even finance a company? Well, you know what? If you head over to davidcbarnett.com, that's kind of the central nervous system of all the stuff I have. You'll find links going out to YouTube and to the books I've written, et cetera. But for your audience in particular, under the free tab, 
They can go and find a download I have, which is 12 things to do before you consider selling your business. And it, it will give them sort of a rundown of some of the most common things I've seen people ignore or neglect um, when they come to want to sell the business. And so there's all kinds of details in there to help you straighten out your thinking about how you should be doing things in the business. And the more time you have, the better. So that means exactly. you know, act today, not tomorrow, because some of the things I suggest in there could take you two years to sort out. But once they've and, been sorted out, huge advantages for you. And you don't even need to be thinking about selling your business to get this report mm -hmm. and start implementing these processes into your business because it'll make it stronger. Wow. Great value. Great value. And I do have an email list, but if you download that book, you do not get automatically put on the email oh. list. I don't like that. Okay. So you have, to, if you want the my email list, you can go sign yourself up, but don't be afraid that I'm going to, you know, spam you or anything if you download that ebook. Thank you. You know, a lot of folks fear that, but this is so, this is such important information. And if you can do it without any risk, as we've been talking about, then it's a great opportunity. And why not get on your email list? You have so much value that you put out in content on a regular basis. Um, that's how I found you. And I think it's, you know, I mean, everybody should be looking your way. So awesome. Awesome. All Thanks right. for saying so, Marcia. Yeah, no problem. So, hey, listeners, I hope you found an idea or two to put into your business that will help you be more profitable now and prepare so that you can sell your business. And it's even more important for you to focus on growing your business. Don't forget to register for my new 20-minute class. It's specifically designed to help you learn how to grow your business five times or even 10 times the revenue. And it also increases the value of your company. So you're in a great position to sell it someday in the future on your terms. So some of the benefits are more profit, more free time, and an easier to run business. Go register for free at 10xyourfirm.com. You don't want to miss this class. And David and I would love to hear your questions, feedback. Give us some comments on some of the challenges you're facing. Have you ever sold a business? Are you thinking about buying a business? Ask us questions. David is the expert. So don't forget to subscribe. Uh, you don't want to miss the podcast and you'll, you'll get some more information that's coming up. And don't forget to um, catch Profit With You Plan on uh, your favorite podcast players. And we're looking forward to more great profitable information on next week's show. So until then, make your plans and profit with them. Thanks so much, David. Thank you.